Either way, please take a Bible and turn to James chapter 2. Should be on page 1012 if you'd like to just grab a Bible from the pew in front of you and turn to that section of James. James chapter 2. This morning, we want to focus primarily on verses 21 to 26 of James 2. But as we did last week, I'm going to read this whole unit beginning at verse 14 and read down through verse 26. These are God's words for us this morning. And here is what our God says to us. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works, Show me your faith from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, O oh foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to, to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's, there's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And to have your word in front of us is a treasure. It's a gift. You're so kind to give us this. And our prayer is that as we seek to understand what you say to us in our reading this morning, that we would not leave out of here merely informed. May your word transform us. So may your spirit be present in our midst this morning. Help us to attend to your word in our hearts. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this unit, beginning at verse 14, reading down through verse 26, is a unit of James that explains the necessity of works as an evidence of true faith. Verse 14 orients us to the matter at hand in this passage. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works, can that faith save him? Faith without works, he says in verse 17, is dead. Faith without works, he says in verse 26, is dead. Faith without works, he says in verse 20, is useless. James is addressing the kind of person who says they believe in Jesus, who says they are a Christian, who is a self-described Christian, but who is lacking any of the fruitful evidence in terms of the order of their lives that they, they are actually Christian. As we touched on last week, they're, they're, as we make our way through this segment of James, there's, there's an, there, at, on the surface, there appears to be a collision between some of the things that James is explaining, explaining to us, writing to us, and some of the very same things that the Apostle Paul has said. For instance, look at, look at verse 24 of what we just read this morning. You see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now you couple that with what Paul says in places like Romans 3, 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or what Paul says in Romans 4, 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul says that justification occurs uh, by, uh, through faith and not by works. James says that one is justified by their works and not by faith alone. Or, because I mentioned those verses last week, Look at what is said there in verse 21 of chapter 2 of James. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Couple that with what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, which is the very passage that James has referenced also in this passage. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness, which is really lifted out of Genesis chapter 15. We were, if we just were to stop there, not that I planned to, but if we were to stop there, you would think, it sounds like Paul and James uh, are colliding with each other. It, it, it sounds like um, Paul and James are actually contradicting each other. But I would suggest to you, as I've, the point that I tried to make last week, I wanna, I'm back for another attempt to make it again this week, and that, and, and that James and Paul are not contradictory to each other, but they teach us something that is that has an important complementarity to it. 
They help us to understand in a biblically balanced way the role, the connection, the relationship between faith and works. James and Paul orient us uh, in terms of each pers- the perspective that each of them are taking, how to stay out of the ditch, if you would, of, of, of various errors that we could uh, adopt or cultivate or practice in terms of missing the balance between faith and works. Part of, this, part of the way to understand this better, I would suggest to you, is to explain that the way Paul uses the word justify is different than the way that James uses the word justify. They use the same word. It's even the same word in the original language. And yet, what, what is often true, even in our own day and age, words have different meanings in different contexts. For instance, if I was to say the word trunk, trunk, T-R-U-N-K, on the count of three, everyone blurred out the definition of trunk. One, no, I won't do that. Because you're all, you all are going to get it wrong. I know it, yeah. Uh, well, you, you, there, you, could, you, you, could, you could use the word trunk, same word to re- refer to the long nose of an elephant. You could refer to the word trunk to refer to, the, to that back lid on, on, your, on most automobiles. Um, you could refer to the word trunk uh, to refer to that, um, uh, that, that, that uh, box at the end of your dormitory bed. That's probably old school, isn't it? They probably don't do that no more. Um, uh, and uh, uh, trunk is also a word used in IT stuff, which I just better stop right there. Uh, but anyway, we could, we could go on. What's the word trunk? We'll say, well, well which, which word, which, which meaning do you have? The context determines that. I, I, and I point that out because I think that's really what's um, in play here. So let me, before I get to the two points, which honestly you're going to say, boy, those two points were quick. Well, they probably won't feel quick to you, but they're going to feel quick to me. But, but, but let, me, let me just kind of, by way of introduction still, um, differentiate the way that I think Paul defines justify and the way James defines justify, and that will help us a whole bunch to uh, understand how these two guys serve us well in understanding how to stay out of the ditch in our misunderstanding uh, of the relationship between faith and works. When Paul speaks of someone being justified, he has in view God's declaration of sinners as being declared righteous. Paul emphasizes justification as a description of an initial aspect or blessing in, the, in a cluster of, of benefits that all lump together and are called salvation. In other words, salvation is like this really big word and there's all sorts of like sub-critters within this big thing called salvation. One of the beautiful sub-critters in this big thing called salvation is justification. Paul teaches us that when a sinner turns to Christ 
trusting in what Christ has done in his life and in his death, that person is not only instantly pardoned of all of their sin, but that person is actually declared righteous in the sight of God. That that declaration of being declared legally righteous in the sight of God is a blessing of salvation that is received only through faith and not through a combination of faith and works. So that's why Paul is emphatic that you and I, when we turn and trust in Christ, it is through that instrumentality of trusting in Christ, receiving Christ, that we receive Christ's righteousness, that we're declared righteous in the sight of God. That's, that's why we can even draw near to him and be in his presence. We receive Christ's righteousness. So Paul is writing to talk about a thing that begins at the outset of this thing called salvation, one of the initial blessings. Oh, and oh, is it not a sweet blessing to be declared righteous before God, even, even before you and I actually uh, are very good at being righteous. This is a huge difference between us and as, as, as a part of the Protestant Christian family and, and, and those who would belong to Roman Catholicism. The official teaching of Rome is that one never receives that legal declaration of righteous before the sight of God until time has unfolded and they actually increase in the actual practice of righteousness. So, so in a sense, you never are declared righteous before God until you actually truly genuinely become righteous <laughs> which is like not very likely to happen so that's why even after you die you, you still got to work things out somewhere else because because you ain't quite righteous yet and so God's not going to legally declare you righteous until you're actually righteous Whereas what, what biblical Christianity teaches is that the declaration of God's righteousness upon sinners comes through the instrumentality of faith and, and not works. In other words, we are declared righteous way before we are actually ever actually righteous in our practice. We start from righteousness and now grow into righteousness. Where Rome teaches, you're not righteous and, and you're not going to be declared righteous until you finally get it together and actually are righteous. I say that not to pick on, on, on anybody. I say that just to distinguish that there is a clear line of demarcation as to how sinners are made right before God. And we believe that sinners are made right before God, not on the basis of personal merit, but on the basis of God's grace, not on the basis of our efforts, but on the basis of Christ's saving work. And that grace through, uh, in, uh, that, that saves us in Christ comes through the instrument of faith and not works. Now, James, James expands on that, builds on that. James gives us a, 
a different perspective on that, not a contradictory perspective. Uh, but, but James uses the same word, justify. But when James uses, uses the word justify, and he intermingles that with a combination of faith and works, I'd suggest to you that what he's describing is how a person demonstrates their justified state. That is, one demonstrates that one has been declared righteous before God. How does one demonstrate that one is declared righteous before God? One demonstrates that one is declared righteous before God by their obedience, by the, the life that they seek to now live. God has already declared sinners who trust in him legally righteous. How that shows itself out in the remaining days and years of our lives is through the evidence of God's grace in our lives, through our practice of good works, through our obedience to God's word through our love in return to God and before each other. James is teaching what James's practical concern is. How do we even know you sit there and you tell me you're justified before God? How do we know that between now and eternity? Is there any sort of evidence or indication that, that, that what you say is true about you is genuinely true about you? I mean, after all, wouldn't you want to know that now before you stood before holy God. James says, I'll tell you how you can know it. And that is the same grace of God that enabled you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is the same grace of God that continues his work in you, not only giving you the grace to trust in Jesus and to even give you the grace to say you trust in Jesus, but to give you all the graces you need to now grow and mature and develop in terms of a life that is now lived differently. See, what the, isn't that what you just said is not the case a while ago? No, here's the difference. Our legal declaration of being righteous before God, our, that, uh, the way Paul uses justify, is something that happens at the beginning of our Christian experience. We... We turn to Christ and trust only in him. And, and, and that, that faith is the alone instrument that credits righteousness to us because that faith is in Jesus. That's the start. Now we look at the development, the progression. And the, and the development and the progression is that as we continue to trust in Jesus, as we continue to walk with Jesus, the very grace that enabled us to believe initially is the very grace that continues to operate in our hearts and lives so that that faith in Jesus begins to 
show itself out, that it's the root, that just the, which is the faith in Jesus, begins to express itself in fruit. And that fruit is things like acts of obedience, that, that we want to know what the word says because we want to do what the word says. We want to do what the word says, not because God is still angry at us and we doubt we'll ever get to heaven. And so we've got to like try to win his favor. But no, we want to do what his word says because he has been so kind to pardon us and to grant us us a righteous standing that now our very desires and loves are changed and now we want to obey him in fact the truth of the matter is we love to want to obey him we 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 love to want to do good works we want to do good works not so that we could win his favor and 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 placate him as our judge but we want to do good works because we want to please our father in heaven He's been so good to us. He's pardoned us and declared us righteous long before we ever had our, 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 our ducks in a row, long before we ever could even imagine uh, such a, a wonderful gift of uh, uh, operating in us. So James is talking about justify in terms of showing others that we live in a state of declared righteousness before God. And we show that we live in a declared state of righteousness before God by our works. But these works are never about showing we deserve salvation. These works are never about meriting our salvation. So both Protestants and Catholics have a relationship between faith and works, and, and, yet, and yet we are at opposite ends of how to understand the outworking of that in our Christian experience. So, so with that in mind, I just want to touch on the two points that are listed there in your bulletin. The reality of faith is, first of all, comprehensive. And this is where we then take a quick gaze at the text itself, particularly verses 21 and following, where it says, um, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active alongside his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then let me jump down Uh, to verse 25, and in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. When I say that the reality of faith is comprehensive, what I mean by that is the reality of faith shows itself in and through all believers. In other words, I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it was random. I don't think he just pulled a rabbit out of his hat that, that he came up with these two examples from the Old Testament about the reality of a faith that works. I mean, he 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 goes to the top, he pulls the big guy out of the out of the hat here. Abraham, the father of 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 the faith, the father of, of Israel, the, the 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 main progenitor of all that is Hebrew. And yet on the other end of the equation, he, he kind of <clears throat> covered the children's ears for a minute. And uh, the same is true for Rahab, the prostitute. 
a Canaanite, a pagan, who nevertheless trusts in the promises of God. So, so we have the father of the faith, and we have the harlot of the faith. I, 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 not, not to play fast and loose with that, but, but in a sense, we've got, we, you see the entire spectrum of believers? Everyone who is declared righteous before God through faith shows and demonstrates their new standing before God by their good works, by their obedience to God, by their love in response to God and toward others. Opposite extremes are the examples that James pulls from. Why is that? Why is that? Because the reality of faith is comprehensive. That it, 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 it shows itself to be real in each and every believer. There is not a spiritual caste system in Christianity. We try to build one because, I mean, now, after all, how do you account for the reality, especially in North American Christianity, when it doesn't really cost us much to say we're a Christian? But, but in, in North American Christianity, we're, we try to, like, figure out a category as to how to place people in order to explain the large number of people who say they are Christian, who call themselves Christian, and yet they, they, they have the kind of faith that James had referred to in verses 14 through 20 as dead and useless. It has, it's a faith that's not living and useful. It, it doesn't demonstrate the, the, the reality and the, the genuineness of it. It's just faith in self-pronounced word only. It's not a faith that evidences, demonstrates itself in the kind of way that life is lived. And so the whole spectrum of Christian, if you're Christian, it's because you have faith in Jesus. And we, we can tell you have faith in Jesus because you now love to live for Jesus. You say, well, now, Junior, he walked an aisle when he was 12, and he joined the church. He, he, I saw him cry in youth camp. Uh, and, uh, uh, but now, after he got home from youth camp, then Junior didn't want anything to do with Christianity or church or Jesus or anything. But I know that, I know that, Christi, that Junior's a Christian because I saw him cry crocodile tears at youth camp. Look, I, I, I don't know what goes on with people's hearts and souls. All I'm just telling you, James is saying, huh? You say you have faith. Can that faith save you? A faith that is dead and worthless? A faith that only expressed itself allegedly at a particular point in time in the past but has no continuing endurance? This is the kind of critter that we've created in North American Christianity because we've made being a Christian just simply a wink and a nod, just simply a one-time drive-by experience. We've, we've not made Christianity its true biblical reality, and that is it begins at a point in time, but it, 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 it never stops. Why? Ultimately, it never stops because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. So it's comprehensive. Both Abraham and Rahab 
demonstrate the reality of their faith by the works that they did. In that sense, each of them were justified by their works. Not that their works declared them righteous before God, but their works demonstrated that they were, in fact, through faith, declared righteous before God. Everyone who has that declared righteousness before God through faith and faith alone will demonstrate such by their works. And thus, saving faith is never alone. Second quick point, the reality of faith is intensive. It's comprehensive. This is true for every true believer. Uh, And it's comprehensive and it is intensive. Not only does the reality of faith show itself across the wide spectrum of those who truly belong to Jesus, but the degree to which it shows itself in each believer is not casual or shallow or superficial. It is deep. It is real. It is intense. And both of these examples show the intensity of their faith, not the casualty, uh, not the casualness of their faith, but the intensity of it. Abraham is willing to sacrifice his own son. That's intense. Well, why is he willing to do that? Because God told him to. Rahab is willing to hide out the Hebrew spies to spare them from being murdered or captured or tortured by the citizens of Jericho, the Canaanites. She's willing to go to great risk to demonstrate that she trusts in God. She buys into the promises of God, and it alters the way she lives life. And so in a sense, while we call it risk, she would say, it's no risk to put myself in the hands of God and trust him for the outcome of my life. Even if it means I'm going to show hospitality and protection to the Hebrew spies rather than than toss them out of my house and hand them over to the authorities to be wronged. You see, and the and and you see the particular of how the intensity of their faith is expressed in ways that I think are commensurate, consistent with this thing called love. Now, faith and love are not the same thing; they are separate realities. but they are inseparably connected. Where there is faith in the promises of God, there is love for God and love for others. Why is that the case? Because faith in the promises of God is in fact the root of the fruit of love, 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 love. Actually, Paul, jumping back to Paul, helps us to understand the intensity of faith, the intensity of the reality of uh, faith in that when Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, 
in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, whatever. I'm not really into like religious uh, hoops to jump through to make yourself right with God. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, I don't have a dog in that fight. No. So in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. But then he says, but, but in essence, here's what really counts. The only thing that really counts is faith working through love. How, how, how do you and I, uh, how, how do others around us have, an, have any sort of sense of, wow, this person really believes in Jesus? Well, well how do you know that? It's more than they told me they believed in Jesus. I see it. Well, how do you see it? I see it because their faith in Jesus has expressed itself, evidenced itself in acts of love. So in Abraham's case, Abraham, you know what Abraham is showing by offering his son, willingly, willing to offer his son? He shows that, that his confidence in the promises of God have given rise to a fruit in which he now loves God more than he even loves himself and his own son. It's not a love for God that wins God's favor. It is trusting in the promises of God's love for us that alters us to begin to love God more than we love ourselves. The same is said about Rahab. I mean, Rahab is showing us by that she truly does have confidence in the promises of God. Why? Because the root, uh, uh, that thing which is the root, the confidence in the promises of God gives, gives rise to the fruit of she loves the Hebrew spies more than she even loves her own safety. She cares about their safety more than she cares about her own safety. Do you see how when true faith in Jesus begins to work itself out in our lives, and it's really going back to what James is saying here, you see that faith was active along with works and faith was completed by works? That it was, it was it, what James is saying is that faith was working in us to produce works. And those works that faith produced grew and developed our faith. Let me do two clarifications and then we can go eat. First clarification is, I, I want to take us back to Abraham for a second here. Um, and uh, to, to, to read uh, once again, what this passage in James says to us about Abraham. Look at verse 21 again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, now James lumps all of that together uh, and what we miss by just reading this reading from James is we, we miss the historical time gap between Abraham believing in God and that faith being counted as righteousness and Abraham offering his son Isaac before God on the altar. 
Genesis 15 says, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's early on in the life of Abraham. He may be like 75 years old there. This is still decades before he even has a kid, decades before then that kid becomes a teenager and he's willing to put him on the altar, which makes perfect sense to me. But, uh, but uh, just kidding, uh, uh, sort of. But in other words, do you, do you see that the, the decades between his initial being declared righteous before God and the eventual demonstration that he's righteous before God by his acts of obedience. What that says to us, what that ought, one of the things that should say to us is that if you leave out of here with just simply a notion, but why, I better get my act together. It's a New Year's and turn over a new leaf. I'm going to start doing some works. While James is orienting us toward works, I don't want you to miss that works are the fruit of the root. In other words, the starting point in this conversation is not, what well, I better start doing some works. No, the starting point in this conversation is who or what are you trusting in? And how are you cultivating that faith in Jesus in your life? How are you growing, maturing, developing a reliance upon Jesus to such an extent that intrinsic in that growing, cultivating faith in Jesus is that the fruit of works, the fruit of love, the fruit of obedience flows out of that. The starting point in Abraham's life is not how he offers his son Isaac as a sacrifice. The starting point is that when God first appeared to him and revealed his plans to him, Abraham trusted in those plans. And, 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 and really, if you read Abraham's life between that moment and offering his son, he had a lot of faux pas, a lot of not trusting in God, a lot of learning experientially. You know what? This God can be trusted. Do you know what? This God is faithful. Do you know what? This God is good. And so the, the remedial curve that keeps coming back in Abraham's life of teaching him, of God patiently and persistently teaching him, you can trust me, you can rely upon me, God saying to him, I got this. <laughs> Not you got this. I got this. That Abraham starts to grow and develop in that to such an, a point that when God finally says to him, you know what? I want you to offer your son uh, on the altar. In a sense, all of Abraham's hopes and dreams, on the one hand, could have been bound to that son. But you know what? God's Abraham's hopes and dreams were not bound to that son. Abraham's hopes and dreams were bound to the God who gave him that son. And who, the God whom the writer of Hebrews tells us, Abraham believed that if I, if I do offer him a sacrifice, God will raise him from the dead. God's able to do that. I can trust God for that. So it's the cultivation of his faith in the promises of God that gave rise to a kind of life that is altered through love and obedience and good works. Final thing I'll say to reinforce that is, once again, while James reminds us of the importance of having a kind of faith that expresses itself in works, James would never, never, never tell us 
to do works apart from faith. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. No amount of good works, no amount of love toward others or toward God, no amount of fastidious obedience to God's word can be a substitute for simply trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has accomplished everything needed to rescue sinners like me and you. Jesus has done everything needed to bring sinners like me and you into full reconciliation with a holy God. Jesus, in fact, has done everything needed to transform sinners like you and I in our justified state to begin to be a new kind of people who begin to walk and practice righteousness in works, in love, in obedience. Father, thank you for Jesus, therefore. Thank you that you call us to rely upon Jesus and not ourselves, to trust in the work of Jesus and not our own intrinsic works. And yet, thank you, Father, that you transform every one of your people. You don't simply pardon us and leave us the way we are. You love us so much that when you pardon us, you create a new kind of person. So may we trust in Jesus and may we, as the Apostle Paul told Titus, may those who believe in God be careful to do good works. May we trust and may we obey. May we trust and out of that may we work. May we trust and what flows out of that is a love. To you be glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name.